in this little short series just here for the month of August called Better Life. And it's really built on this idea that God is the one who made us. He's the one who wired us. He's the one who knows how all of this works best. And so we've been looking at Ephesians chapter 4, and today we're going to be in Ephesians 5. So if you've got your Bibles and uh, want to uh, open them, that would be great. That's where we're going to be. Uh, we started back in chapter 4 talking about putting away, first of all, uh, the things that are the cancers to the soul, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice, and replacing it with kindness, being tender-hearted, thinking more of others than we think of ourselves, ministering to them, forgiving those who have wronged us. Then last week, we were in the first part of chapter 5, when he says, walk in love, be imitators of God. And one of the things that we talked about, if you and I are going to enjoy the very best, I mean, Jesus is the one who said, I came to give life and to give it abundantly, to give it to the full, then it really matters that we walk in alignment with what he created us to do and, and to be. And we look last week back at this idea of being an imitator of God is really built on the fact that God created us to be his image bearers. In Genesis 1, it says God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. That you and I are set to reflect our God. To reflect him to one another. And the way that Paul pulls it out is specifically that we should walk in love. And that word love there, that agape love, that God-like love. Now today, in a, in a very real sense, the male and female part is the kind of where Paul is really going with this. Because he's going to talk about the importance of acting purely acting morally. And it's, uh, it's interesting. So God created us male and female. He, he gave us guidelines of how this was to work, and it was to happen, and it was to work in marriage. So one man, one woman coming together in one, for one lifetime, and in the context of, of that relationship, the context of that kind of covenant that God now gave us the expression of, of sex, sexual intercourse, as the kind of the, actually really the, the sign of the covenant. We come together as one flesh. But outside of that, that we were not to express our sexuality. It was it's designed in these very narrow, as a word, uh, guideposts along the way. Well, man rebelled. Kind of want to do things our own way. We sin. We decided we're going to walk away from God. And it's kind of interesting when you start looking at the book of Genesis, how even the sexual side gets corrupted really quick. So by the time you get to the end of chapter 4, you have polygamy. So now it's not one man and one woman, it's one man and two women. And then you get, uh, what is it? I think it's what, chapter 19, and you have incest with Lot's daughters sleeping with him. And then you have, um, later on, you have rape. And it's just, it's just this downward spiral 
of all that goes on because God created it with a very specific purpose. And so now as we come to Ephesians 5, Paul picks this up in verse 3. So I'm going to read out loud if you'll follow along. He says, but immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. So for those of you that know Jesus, it should never be a part. And there must be no filthiness and silly talking or coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God came upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers in them. And so, what Paul says is that we are to act purely. We are to walk within the, the framework that God has given us. And what's really fascinating to me is that he had just said in verse 2, we talked about it last week, walk in love. Walk in love, right? And now he comes back, but don't act immorally. And in our culture today, we have equated sexuality with love. And if you love someone, then you can have that kind of relationship with them. And yet Paul says, no, 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 no. That's immorality. That's impurity. That's greed. Now, isn't that an interesting thought? Greed. Why would Paul list greed here? Well, greed is about selfishness. It's about what I want. It's not what, about what's best for you. And when you think about it, how God designed sexuality to work was it, it was to be done and to be experienced in a relationship, but a relationship that comes with great cost. For all of you who are married, you understand that there's great cost to this relationship. You, you, you come together, you make this covenant that it is you and I forever, right? For better, for worse, for richer, for poor. A lot of poorer in that, right? That, at least that's what Tammy says. In sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death do us part. There's cost to that. There's commitment to that. But it is in that relationship where we are now can be fully known, fully revealed, fully transparent, and fully loved. And that is what our soul needs to be able to express freely our sexuality. And so, to be in a relationship with someone who's not willing to make that cost, to make that commitment... It's, it's greed, it's, wanting, it's coveting something that you shouldn't have. It's selfish. If you're in a relationship where somebody who doesn't want to marry you and hasn't married you and they're pushing you for sex, they're not the person that you want. Why? Because they're selfish. They're not thinking about you. They're thinking about themselves. They want something that is not right at this moment. And what it will do to your heart and to your soul 
It's greed. And there's actually open rebellion to what God has told us. God, God's word. In fact, the words he uses here are very interesting. The word immorality is kind of a general term for sexual sin. It's from the Greek word pornea, from which we get pornography. Uh, so it has to do with erotica. It has to do with uh, the biblical, you know, the old King James word fornication, right, which is sex before marriage, adultery, sex outside of the bonds of marriage. It has to do with um, uh, homosexuality. It, it, it deals with all of those things. Impurity is even a more general term, but it really goes more to the idea of thought. And you think of what Jesus tells us about if, it, you know, if you were to look upon a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery with her. And his whole point is, is that all of this is in rebellion to God's design. God made us distinctly male and female, and to express that in a covenant relationship that is God's design. And so his path for us, his plan is crystal clear. You know, now we like to muddy the waters. We like to, you know, find gray where there is no gray. I, mean, I meet people all the time. You, you know, they come here. You know, we're Christians. Great. We're living together. And, and they have, they've rationalized it away. But God's path for this is crystal clear. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. Food's for the stomach, the stomach's for food. God will do away with both. That's not what's important. Yet the body is not for immorality. Same word. But for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. Honor the Lord with your body. And in case that's not clear enough, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul says, this is the will of God. I don't know how you get more clear than that. Your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, from pornea, from erotica, from stepping out of God, yes, very narrow, but narrowly designed because he knows our heart. He knows our soul. And he knows the havoc that when we walk out of his plan and his path that it wreaks on our life. Now some people hear that and they go, well then, you know, sex is impure. No, sex is not impure. Sexual expression is pure in the context of marriage. Coming together for that commitment of a lifetime and two becoming one. In fact, that's where sexual intercourse is the sign of that covenant. That we have become one. That we have joined life together. It is a normal, natural. In fact, if you're married, it ought to be. And if it's not a normal practice in your life, then you're walking in disobedience. God, Paul tells us in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it should be a part. Why? It is, a, it is pure. It is holy. It is exactly what God has called us to do. But apart from that, we're not. He knows our heart. He knows our soul. He's the one that wired us with our sexuality. He knows how it works best. And then he moves on, not only act purely, 
But he says, speak purely, verse 4. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. The idea of filthiness here is the idea of degrading talk. That which is disgraceful. In fact, the word that he translates uh, filthy here in verse 4 in the Greek, it's the same word that's translated in verse 12, for it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done of them in secret. The speech that, that degrades, that puts down, and in a culture where putting somebody down, you know, we've given it a, a you know, cute little title, right? We call it trash talking, right? The Bible says that's not what we're supposed to do. That's, our, our soul was not made to tear other people down and to make other people look bad. Our, our soul was made to lift other people up. I think that's why when we looked at the very first week, put aside bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and malice. Because we were made to build one another up. That, that's what, how God made our hearts. And so he said there should be no obscenity in our speech, no coarse talking. Nori talks about now about silly joking here. Uh, when he says silly talk or coarse jesting, this is the, this is the things that, um, the suggestive jokes, the double entendres, the, uh, the unethical stories it shouldn't be a part of our speech. In fact, what he tells us is conversely, uh, what it really should be is should our, our speech should be filled with thanksgiving, right? The idea of gratitude. Not putting others down, but lifting others up for what they've, they brought to us. It ought to be this humility of not, not making me look better by putting other people down, but lifting other people up and being thankful for their contribution to my life and what they bring. Act purely speak purely and then starting in, <clears throat> in verse 5 he begins to talk about <clears throat> the consequences for this you know with certainty interesting this you know with certainty why would they know it well I think we know it intuitively. God made us. He made our heart. He gave us a sense of justice. And I, and I think they know because Paul had been there and had taught them and taught them the word. This we know with certainty. What do we know? That no immoral or impure person or covetous man. So think verse 3 here, right? who is an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. There's, there's consequences to living an impure life. Now, the word he uses here is they have no inheritance. Now, what does he mean that they have no inheritance in the kingdom of God? Does that mean that there's no chance they're going to heaven? That they're not saved? 
What does he mean by they have no inheritance in the kingdom of God? And I wish we had a boatload of time. We don't. So, but whenever you're studying the Bible and you come across the word and you're trying to figure out what does he mean by this, especially uh, if they've used it some other place, that's probably the best place to go. So you go back to chapter one because Paul uses the word inheritance there. He uses it in verse 14. But what is he talking about? Well, in chapter one, he's been talking about who we are in Christ. Like if you look at verse 4, that we've been chosen in him before the foundation of the world. In chapter 5, or verse 5, he says that we've been brought in as, a, as adopted sons to Christ. You look at verse 7, in him we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. So he's been talking about our salvation and all that we have in Christ today. But then he says, there in verse 11... He says, also, we have obtained an inheritance. An inheritance, right? There's that word. He picks it up again in verse, uh, in verse 14, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. And he's speaking of the Holy Spirit with a view to the redemption of God's own possession. So the sense is that when Paul speaks of inheritance, he's not speaking of salvation. We have that. It's past tense. We have been forgiven. We have been adopted into God's family. We have that. When he's talking about inheritance, he's looking ahead to that final state when we stand before the Lord. We've been given the Holy Spirit as a down payment of what is yet to come. And what is yet to come is our inheritance. It's our reward. And so when you get back to chapter 5 and this idea that no immoral person, impure person, covetous person has an inheritance in the kingdom of God, he's not talking about salvation. What he's talking about is the future reward. When we stand before the Lord and we give an account 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's talking to you and me as believers. And it's not about whether we get into heaven or not, but it's about reward. In fact, in Colossians chapter 3, Paul puts it like this. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Knowing what? That from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. Why? Because you serve faithfully. You did it as unto the Lord. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. This idea that as believers we're going to stand and we're going to give an account and again, it doesn't, it's not about whether we're going to heaven or not. That's settled in our salvation. But as believers, we will have this opportunity for reward. We'll be judged. Did we walk in obedience to God's word? Did we live within the guide rails that he gave us? Or do we do our own thing? For those that walk faithfully, there's reward. For those who go their own route, there's loss of reward. That's why John said in 2 John 1.8, watch yourself so that you may not lose what you've worked for, but may win a full reward. So for you and I to walk in impurity, immorality, pornea, there's consequence, and part of that consequence is in the life to come. 
And, and I love what he says in verse 6 there of chapter 5. He says, eh, let me turn there. He says, let no one deceive you with the empty words. Man. It's exactly what's going on in our culture. All the empty words, right? That, hey, love is love is love. If it feels good, do it. Right? We, we have all the excuses. We have all of the rationalization. And he said, don't let them deceive you with empty words. They're lies. Don't live in the lies. There's consequence to this. There's consequence in the life to come. There's also consequence in this life. Because when you and I live in impurity and immorality... We live outside of how God made us, the alignment with our soul. We cheapen the beauty of what God has, has made. Uh, we, we give away parts of our soul that were never meant to be given away except in that relationship that, where we're fully known fully trusted, fully loved that comes with a lifetime. Don't believe the lies. And yet, I meet Christians all the time that they believe the lies. There's, you know, pornography, there's nothing wrong. It's, it's like it doesn't hurt anybody. Yes, it does. It rewires your brain. Oh, we love each other, we're going to get married, but we're living together. No, it's sin. It's wrong. It's going to hurt your relationship. You don't understand. You know, if you knew my wife, you, or you knew my husband, you know why I'm stepping out. No, it's, it, it's sin. It, it's, it's corrupting your soul. And here's the thing. There's not only consequence in the life to come, there's consequence today. Right? And for those of you who... A little more my age, a little more mature, right? We've seen this play out on a national stage, haven't we? Because I was born, quite honestly, at a little simpler time. But as the 60s and 70s rolled in and free love, right? You could just, you could just love, you know, and it was all at that point heterosexual. And, but you could just, you know, doesn't, marriage doesn't really matter. And, and we saw that come. And then we saw the, the number of children being born into homes with just one parent and how difficult that is for, man, for a single parent to raise a child by themselves. And, and we saw the heartache. And, and, and then that led to the, the increase in divorces. And from there, that led to more of the explosion of pornography. I mean, when I was a kid, compared to what's out there today, it's, it's just, it's, I mean, not only the amount and the ability to get to it, but where it's at. You, you see, I, I don't mean sure what was considered pornography when I was a kid would be considered that anymore because they got to keep pushing and pushing and pushing. You know why? Because it's wired to who we are and it corrupts. And we keep looking for the satisfaction and it gets harder and harder to get. And then, you know, the whole push towards homosexual 
uh, relationships, and now uh, homosexual marriage, and now is the, the whole gender. And I've got to be honest with you, I, I feel so bad. My heart hurts for young people that are growing up in this and they're, they're looking and they're expressing and they're not finding happiness. And the reason they're not finding happiness is they are living outside of their alignment of what they were originally created and wired. And, and, and they're looking for it in all the wrong places and it just, it's crushing their soul. I mean, Look at us as a nation. We, we have this, uh, this epidemic of depression, of suicide, of alcoholism, of drug abuse among our young people. But we've told the men, you just go do whatever you want. They're empty lies. We see marriages breaking apart because, you know, the people, both men and women, have gotten into this porn and they've set unrealistic expectations that nobody could do. They've rewired their brain. They can't respond the way they should. And God, for his children, is not just simply going to sit back and go, okay. Pat us on the head, say, isn't that cute? You just keep going that way. No, he loves you too much. We talked about this last week. When we talk about walk in love, that doesn't mean to, to walk in love. It, it doesn't mean that you let people, that you encourage people, that you enable people to live in destructive behavior. God is not the cosmic enabler. And so as a child of God, when you and I get involved in this, he's not going to let you go. He's going to begin to, to work in your life whom the Lord loves. He disciplines. He knows what havoc this is going to break in your life and in your marriage and in generationally for the kids that are coming behind you because the enemy wants to put you into generational curses with this stuff. And he knows that he loves you too much. And so discipline is going to come. You see, it's, it's hard to explain, and I don't have time to, to spend a boatload of time on this, but there's something about sexual sin that's different. Paul put it like this, flee immorality, right? Same word. Every other sin that a man commits is outside his body. That's interesting. Lying, stealing, you know what? It's almost an arm's length. But the immoral man sins against his own body, right? Because it's part of we were made in the image of God. We were made, made in female. We were given our sexuality. And God loves you way too much to let you go. There's going to be consequence. Now, if we had time, and if we were all willing to be honest, and we went around the room, most of us have messed up here. Thankfully, we don't have time, and thankfully, we're not going to ask you all to be honest, right, in front of everybody else, but you and I know. Most of us are screwed up here, right? So the question comes, what do we do? Because here's how the enemy attacks this, right? Some of you have been sitting here, and you're just wishing, man, I wish I'd done anything but come to church today, right? Because you're, you're, you're living with someone. You are actively involved in pornography. You've, you've messed up. You're reaping some of the, 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 some of the consequence of this. And this has been hard. 
And now the enemy is sitting there beating you over the head that, hey, you'll never have an inheritance. You, you've ruined it. You've ruined your life. And I want to tell you as clearly as I've said anything else today, that's a lie. That's the enemy lying to you. You see, God has already provided about something about yesterday. We can't go back and redo yesterday as much as we want, but Jesus did something. He went to the cross. He paid for it. And here's all he says is confess your sin. If you don't know this verse, you ought to memorize it. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's conditional. It starts with your confession. And with that conditional peace, he promises he will forgive. He takes care of yesterday. That's where it starts. Now we got to deal with today because today is the day we all have. Today's the day we have to choose to do right, to walk in alignment. And so that word is the word repent. You say, well, I thought that would be confession. No, no, no. Repent is way different than confession. Confession is sometimes I just got caught. Confession sometimes is I feel guilty. Repentance is I'm going to agree with God. It's a change of mind. This is wrong. This is sin. This is destroying my soul. It's rewiring my brain. I don't want to do this. I'm going to agree with God. And I'm going to change my behavior, which leads to obey. Get out of the situation. I'm going to do what's right. And, and, I, and here's the thing. Some of you are living together, Right? You need to go home today after this service and have this discussion about what are we to do. And if you believe God's bringing you together and married, then you need to get married and you need to stay apart till then. Some of you might be the, hey, we know we're going to get married, but we're going to put it off. Just go down to the courthouse, get the, get the license, come, I will marry you. Or you say, well, we want to have a wedding, you know, and, and do that in a year. Okay, well, listen, as long as you'll move apart, I'll do it. But I tell you, time and time and time again, go, well, we can't, we can't afford it. We're going to keep living in sin because we want to have a wedding. I can't be a part of that. God has a plan. You weren't, it's going to destroy your relationship. It's not what God designed you to do. Do it God's way. You say, Steve, that's hard. Yes, it's hard. But it is the best way. It is the way you will rise and call me blessed. Because you never go wrong doing it God's way. Ever. Some of you struggle in pornography. You, you, you've, you've got to start putting things, and we're going to get to that in a moment. One of the things I think will help you. You've got to commit to doing what's right. You gotta do God's way. I don't care how hard it is. It's hard for all of us. I've shared with you all before. You know, I was married and I lost a wife. And you know, it's, it's hard as a single person. I get that. But you can do it. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You can walk in purity. Commit yourself to living out God's truth. Don't live in the lies of our culture. Some of you are struggling with homosexual thoughts and some of those type of things, you know, because culture is there and, and, and you have that and you, you got to stand in truth. This is who God created. This is the guardrails that he put to protect my heart. And lastly, especially in those secreted places, 
you know, I, I've, I've dealt and talked with men for, you know, 30 years who struggle with pornography. One of the things that I've learned is that if a guy is still desiring to protect his reputation more than really choosing to do what God wants him to do, he'll never, you know, you know, pull himself up by his own bootstraps and he's going to fall again. You're going to pull himself up, you're going to fall. It's just this, you see, you're living in darkness. That's what it is. And we're going to talk more about this next week as walk as children of light. You need to bring light in, which means you need to find a godly person, a godly man who you bring into your life that will hold you accountable, that will probably talk to you about his own struggle and victory over this. And they're going to, they're going to pray with you, but it's not until you bring light and if you don't know somebody like that, you come and tell me, I will get you that person. A great book. You know, I usually give away books. What's really funny about this book, I've tried to give this book away 10 times. Usually I put a book down and 30 seconds after, it's like vultures, right? They're gone. I set this book out. It's crickets, right? So I'm not giving one away. But you ought to write it down, not because you need it, but because you're going to come across somebody else that will, Right? Winning the Battle Within, Neil Anderson, great book of how to walk and get out of the strongholds so that you walk in truth, you walk in alignment with who God created you to be. You want to live the best life? Act purely. Speak purely. Do it the way God tells you to do it, and you will be blessed.